Well, listen, uh, we are in our series, Finding Faith, and uh, I hope that you found this series uh, credible. I hope that you found it an opportunity for you to go deeper into your faith, for you to connect a little bit. We've tried to really uh, wrestle with what we think some of the modern-day questions are that we deal with our faith. We, we, first of all, defined what faith was. We talked about, you know, what does it mean to be an atheist, and, and how do we as Christians uh, relate to folks who are atheists. We then talked about, um, can I have questions? You know, so often in our faith, we think that we have to, you know, be faithful and show that and act that all the time. And what we found is that God wants us to just be real, that we are all on a journey and we need to understand where we are. And once we can say, this is where I really am, it's from that standpoint that we can build a foundation of faith and we can surround ourselves with other believers in, in our journey to walk. Last week, I took us on um, kind of a, a very brief um, historical of hundreds of years of, of denominationalism. Uh, did that in 25 minutes, uh, probably 32 at the second service. I don't know why, but 32 at the second service, 25 here. But anyway, um, it, it was an opportunity for us to kind of find out what started the whole denominational thing and why do we have so many denominations but more importantly, what are the differences in the denominations? And it's really important, I said last week, it's important for us to know what it, what it is and why we believe. But I also said, Robert, here it comes. I also said that one of the things John Wesley was big about, who was the founder of the Methodist movement, that we should never check our intellect at the door before we come into worship. There we go. There it is on cue. Um, but we should always be fruitful in the way in which we uh, see both a combination of head and heart in our faith, and that was very important for Wesley. So today we're going to tackle um, a, another question that, that really goes out there, and uh, it's one of those questions that comes upon the words of Jesus. But before we get there, let me just say that, did you know that there's 4,300 religions in the world? 4,300. And of all those 4,300 religions, every single one of them thinks that their guy, their person, their thing is the one true God. And, and so this is kind of what we're wrestling with. And, and so to think about 4,300 religions in the world, it begs the question, is there one that really makes the difference? Is there one that is what we can say is true? And I think that, you know, that's the question is, is there the right one? Now, I prefaced last week in denominationalism that, that my role is not, wasn't then to say that you needed to be a United Methodist or transfer or that kind of thing. Uh, but this week, I, I really want to have an open mind. But let me just say this. We must always have tolerance of people who believe differently. We must have tolerance, but we also must be in pursuit of the power of the Holy Spirit in the transformational life of Jesus Christ, that they may become aware of the good news that comes in Jesus. And that's kind of the goal that I want to get to today, is to kind of help us to answer a great question, a powerful question based upon the words of Jesus himself, but also to understand that, that we must be tolerant of our brothers and sisters of other, of other religions, but we also must be in pursuit. And I'll define what that pursuit is. It's not taking your big King James and whacking him over the head. But it's, it's actually a different kind of pursuit. So of the 4,300 world religions, my guess is that, like I said, all of them proclaim that message that their guy, their thing, their whatever is the way. Listen to what Jesus said. This is, these are the words of a guy that, that I trust. These are the words of a, of a guy that I know. And my guess is that you do too. Jesus said, I am the way 
and the truth and the life that no one comes to the Father, no one comes to God except through who? Me. Jesus makes this bold proclamation. Out of all the statements of Jesus, not even love your neighbor, not even you know, forgive your enemy or pray for your enemy, of all the statements made by Jesus, this is the one that sends ripple effects through all faith communities. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life that no one comes to the Father, no one comes to God except through me. Now, if, if you'll indulge me, this morning I'm using a lot of resources by a writer named Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel is the um, uh, gentleman who was an atheist. He was a Pulitzer Prize writer many, many years ago, and he was an atheist. His wife was Christian. He was atheist, and she kept begging him to go to church with her. So he made a deal with her, and he said, over the next year, if I can prove Christianity is false, then you got to stop nagging me about going to church. But if, if I find out through my investigative resources that Christianity is true, then Easter Sunday, I'll be in church with you from there on in. So I'm using a lot of his resources from God's outrageous claims this morning. And if you have never read that book, let me encourage you to go do that. So, so here's the first question. Do all paths lead to God? You know, one of the reasons why Jesus' expression of I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through me, the reason it rubs so many is because it challenges the structure of faith of other believers. It, it challenges that, and, and, um, and it, it kind of challenges the statement that all religions are the same. Have you heard that? Well, we all believe in the same thing. You've heard that. I hear it. And the truth is, is, is no, we don't. And, and kind of let me just share with a couple of things here. Let's look at some of the great world religions this morning and briefly kind of go through Buddhism, okay? So Buddhism teaches the noble eightfold path. Now, Buddhism says there's eight things that the disciple or the believer must do in order to have a credible relationship with God. They have to have a right viewpoint. They have to have a right aspiration. They can't just be lazy. They have to aspire to the things of God. They have to have the right speech, the right behavior. They have to be in the right occupation, making sure that you're doing what God had created you to do. They must make the right effort, the right mindfulness, but they also must enter into the right meditation. Those are the eight noble pieces of what Buddhism makes up. So, so our Buddhist friends, this is what they live under. They live under these eight things that they deal with. Um, Hindus, Hinduism. Hindus teach the four yogas, okay? Now, this isn't like hot yoga and stuff like that that we, or goat yoga. It's not that kind of stuff. It's, it's the, the, the spiritual movements, the spiritual pieces. So the four yogas are the way of knowledge. They practice this. They're constantly seeking knowledge, Knowledge of greatness, knowledge of what is next. They seek the way of devotion. They, they devote themselves to uh, their God's work. They devote themselves to their family. They devote themselves to their community. Uh, the way of action and the way of meditation. So these are the, the four yogas. This is what, if you're a Hindu, you practice these four things. You do these four things, just like the Buddhists do the eight things, and that leads you to God. So you do those things. Now, Islam, Islam built its foundation on the five pillars of faith, the five pillars of faith. Uh, a statement of belief. Publicly, a Muslim must 
uh, repeat the Shahada, which is there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. They repeat that over and over and over as part of their daily regimen. They have to kneel and bow in prayer five times a day in a westerly direction toward Mecca. Mecca is the place, it's the Holy Land. Jerusalem is a holy land for Christians and Jews. Mecca is the holy land uh, for the Muslims. So they must bow and pray five times a day westerly toward Mecca. They must give one-fortieth of their income to the poor. So, so one of the things that the Muslims believe is they believe in, um, you know, kind of uh, the, the, the charity. They believe in the, the giving. They, they don't see that as, oh, the preacher the church wants my money, the mosque wants my money, the imam is asking. No, no, they, it's entrenched in them. They give one fortieth. That's what they do because they help people, especially the poor. They fast during the month of Ramadan. So this is a, a spiritual month for them that they recognize. They fast during that month, and they must perform the hajj. The hajj is a pilgrimage that one time, at least once in your lifetime as a Muslim, you must leave wherever you are, and you must travel to Mecca. You must make the pilgrimage, the hajj, during your lifetime. So that's what, that's what uh, Muslims believe. That's what Islam is. They do all these things, and if they do all those things, they then become favored with God. Here's our friends uh, out of Judaism. There's three there. Good moral character. You know, they, the stories of Judaism rabbis will teach the significance of good moral character. They make sure that it's entrenched in that. They make sure that their people know their history, must have the right attitudes and a spirit of repentance. Those are the three aspects. If I'm going to be Jewish, I must adhere, I must live into, I must acquire, I must morph into those three things. So, so here's the challenge that we have. Jesus said, I'm the only way to God, okay? Jesus said, I'm the only, only way. And what he's doing is he's, he's setting aside all of these world religions and he's setting Christianity apart from that. And if you think about Jesus' ministry, I mean, isn't that what a call is? He walked along the seashore and called people and said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men and women. And so, so it's this calling that comes. And, and so what we recognize is what Jesus is teaching can't be compared to the 4,299 other world religions that are out there. It's totally different. So, so let me give you a couple of examples. Um, Strobel gives a couple of great examples here, and I want to use those this morning. He says, other religious leaders tell people, follow me, and I'll show you how to find truth. Follow me, and I'll show you how to find truth. Jesus says, I am truth, okay? All other religious leaders will tell you, follow me, and I'll show you the way of salvation, just follow me and I'll show you how to get there. Jesus says, I am salvation. I am eternal life. Other religious leaders will tell people, follow me and I'll show you how to become enlightened. I'll show you how to, to be a thinker. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And other religious leaders will tell people, follow me and I'll show you the many doors that lead to God. And Jesus said, I am the door. I stand and I knock, open it. I am the way to God. So we see some interesting things that are here. All other world religions, here, here's kind of the, um, the deciding factor to put it into good perspective. The world religions outside of Christianity, all the other world religions, they spell the way to get to God, D-O. Do. Say do. Okay. So it's what you do. The believers must do all these things 
in order for God to recognize them, in order for God to, to turn God's head toward them, in order for God to see them, in order for God to love them, in order for God to save them. They have to do all these things. They have to maintain a radical diet. They have to pray in a certain way. Some have to wear a super special spiritual underwear. We'll talk about that in another sermon. Um, you know, they've got to do all these things in order to be recognized by God. So that's all the world religion. So Christianity, Jesus is saying something differently here. Jesus says Christianity isn't do, it's D-O-N-E, done. Say done. Okay, so, so he says, wait a minute. It's not really about what you have to do. It's what God is doing here through Jesus the Christ on the cross. And Jesus goes to the cross on our behalf. And because of that, as Paul writes, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. And so when Jesus went to the cross, it was done. He took care of everything that gave us the eternal life. So Christianity is God reaching out toward us. In other world religions is the believer reaching up to God, that God is dis disconnected, disenchanted, unless the believer does all these things. Oh, then God might give his attention. But Christianity is God reaching out to the believer. Dr. R.C. Sproul, who uh, is a Reformed theologian, he's dead now, but, but he, uh, he truly said that, that, that Jesus, can, Jesus is the only way, that no other world religion can do what Jesus said. He says, no other leader of any major religion pretends to be able to bring eternal life by payment of themselves, the leader, uh, through death. Only Christianity does that. And here's what Dr. Sproul says. He says, Moses could mediate the law. Muhammad could brandish a sword. Buddha could give personal counsel. Confucius could offer wise sayings. But none of these men were qualified to offer an atonement for the sins of the world. Only Jesus. So even the understanding of godly grace is different. Did you know that in, in Buddhism and Christianity, we have similar stories of the prodigal son? Maybe you didn't know that. Uh, there's different stories about the prodigal son. In the Buddhist rendition, the son goes, just like we see in Christianity, he goes to his father, says, I want my inheritance. He takes it. He goes out and he squanders it. But in the Buddhist tradition, the son comes back and must work off the debt over years of service with his father before he is forgiven. Christianity. Let's look in, you know, if we were to think about Luke 15, where this story appears, the prodigal son. Same thing, goes and says, Dad, I want my inheritance. He goes out, he squanders it, he spends it. He has this change of heart. He says, man, I made a huge mistake, and, and I don't even know, can I face my father? And he goes begrudgingly back, and what does the story tell us? That his father stopped and dropped everything that he was doing and ran out to his son, which was unheard of in those days, because men did not pull up their robes and run like that. But, but he did, and it, and, and it tells us clearly that the son did not have to work off any of that debt from his father. His father forgave him. His father restored him. It was undeserved forgiveness. Why? Because Christianity is done. It's not due. So to me, that's why I think that God created a simple plan. I, I think that God, God made it real simple, and God said, here it is. Here's, here's how to understand this. And this is why, why God unveiled himself on the pathway that leads to Jesus Christ. And that's why I think it does matter what we believe. I think it does matter. 
Here's another question. What about the other ways to God? Well, you know, all religions are the same. We, we've heard people say that. And some of us have been in conversations with people, and they've said that, and we've kind of agreed with them. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. And, and part of us maturing as believers, again, isn't to whack people over the head with our big King James, but it's to help them to come into the presence of the God who created them. It's to help them to have their eyes open, to see the truth that comes in God through Jesus Christ. How do we know Jesus was telling the truth when he claimed to be the Holy One of God? I mean, we've had some wackadoos, right? David Koresh, Jim Jones, and Guyana. We've had a lot of wackadoos who've said, I'm the Messiah. I'm Christian, and I'm the Messiah. And there's still some today who do that. And so it kind of gets lost in translation. But here's a couple, here's two other ones, just historically, that I want to just share with you. The first one happened in 1648, okay? And this was uh, Sabatai Zebi, who was a manic depressive who had this mesmerizing speaking ability that whenever they spoke, people were like, we need to follow. And so they did that. And, And so they had thousands of followers. He married a Polish prostitute and said that through promiscuity and nudity was how you got closer to God. Okay, this isn't made up. It's real stuff. And so what happened in this situation was that in 1666, he was arrested after trying to overthrow the sultan. They, the police bring him into the jail. They string him up against the wall in chains, and they say this to him. Rebuke your faith. Become a Muslim, and we'll let you free. Now, here's the Messiah. What does he do? He renounces his faith in Christ, and he becomes a Muslim. And he gets set free. So, so here was somebody who's not even, doesn't even believe themselves what they're telling everybody. Here, here's the second one. This one's really bizarre. Himena Wilkinson, who was a Quaker born in Rhode Island, and she used to tell people that she had died and that God had brought her back to life and God had resurrected her. And um, she ended up with several hundred loyal disciples who believed that she was their ticket to God. If they followed her, if they listened to her, she was their ticket to God. One day, um, she was on the banks of, 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 of the area around her, on the cliffs there, looking down at the ocean, and she announced, she said, I'm going to step off of this cliff, and I'm going to just walk on the water that's down below. Do you think I can do that? And her believers were like, yes, 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 we know you can. And she said, well, if you believe it, then I don't need to do it. Okay. So, so, so here we have this. Now, now I'm not sure that, um, that that added to her flock in 1820, but I do know that when she died, she told her disciples, she said, do not bury my body, leave it out, because I will be resurrected before you. And after about three weeks of decaying, her disciples disbanded. They were gone. Jesus was different. He not only contended he was the way, the truth, and the life, he proved it. He proved that. Let me give you a couple of things. Uh, What about credible evidence? Is there credible evidence that Jesus is really the way? Out of all the worldly religions, history and science can only prove one, and that's Christianity. History and science cannot prove any of the other world religions, but it can prove Christianity. We know a lot of proof that's happened. You heard me say this a couple weeks ago, that, that science and religion can live together. 
They can be compatible, and we've seen these examples. Every day there's confirming evidence that Jesus is God, and therefore it makes it credible. Um, of those examples, we see, we see a few of them in the scriptures of Jesus' miracles, and it's not just written in what we would call our holy scriptures, it's also written in manuscripts of, ancient, of the ancient world. So he showed his power over nature as he walked on water. We preached on that uh, several weeks ago with Peter. Uh, he showed his uh, power over nature when he turned water into wine. And he was like the life of the party at the wedding that day. He proved his power over disease by healing the sick and the broken. He showed his power over death by raising Lazarus to death after four days. And the one translation says that Lazarus was certainly dead because by then his body stinketh. So he was dead, but Jesus raised him from the dead. Those closest to Jesus, the disciples, they weren't sure. But then all of a sudden, watching and seeing and being a part of everything that Jesus was about, they began to see credible evidence that they believed that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. Peter, James, and John go with Jesus on the mountain. And what we call in, in biblical history and in the scriptures, the transfiguration where Jesus is standing and then Moses and Elijah appear and Jesus is adorned in a bright light of white. And it's at that point that, that leads Peter later on when Jesus is asking the question, who do you think I am? And Peter makes the disclosure, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, you're blessed. He says, I didn't tell you that. God revealed it to you. And we see these things happening Here's the next question, and this is one I really want us to listen closely to. Isn't Jesus being arrogant when he says, I'm the way? Is that arrogance? Is that um, something that we should move away from? Is that contrary to everything of the humility of Jesus? Is that contrary to what Paul would describe in Philippians 4 about emptying himself, being humble on that? So when, for non-believers, when we share with them the story they hear those words, I am the way and the truth and the life that no one comes to the Father except through me. They hear those words and they become uncomfortable with that. And some of them say, well, Christians are elitists. And let me just tell you, the only way that non-believers know what Christians are like is when they talk to a Christian. Does that make sense? Because we are the living witness, right? Yeah, you can read stuff, you can watch, but when you meet somebody that is what they say, that's when you know. And so there are some who are believers in Jesus who do see Christianity as elitism. They do see Jesus's words, I am the way and the truth, and they want to use that in a harmful way against others. We're in, you're out. That's, that's kind of the way it is. And there are folks who, who do this. But listen to what... Um, uh, Jude says, Jude says, go easy on those who hesitate in the faith. Go after those who take the wrong way, but be tender with sinners, but not soft on sin. So Jude is saying to us, wait a minute. We're supposed to share the good news. We're supposed to relate with people. We're supposed to get to know. You just can't come up to a stranger and say, burn in you know where or believe in Jesus. We can't do that. We've got to get to know people. When we know people, we build what? A relationship. When we, when we can have a relationship, people, what does that do? It builds trust. 
And when somebody trusts us, aren't you more willing to trust somebody or believe what somebody tells you if you trust them? Of course you are. And so this is what is so important for us here. So, so imagine two country clubs. Let me give it to you this example. Imagine two country clubs. One country club says, we've got all of the goods and services. They're state-of-the-art. They're the best. Nobody can compete with us, but you have to, you have, to have this much money. You have to be in the area this long. You have to uh, be this many volunteer hours. You have to do this. You have to do this. If you accomplish all of these things, we'll let you into our country club. Now imagine another country club that says, we've got the best things too. It doesn't cost you anything. All you got to do is want to be a part of it. Just, just come and, and be a part of, of, of what we're doing here and, and see how it makes a difference. Regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your, of your gender, regardless of all those things, you are accepted here. We will, we will admit you. But you see, we have to decide. I mean, are Christians the ones being um, arrogant? No. We're taught to love. We're taught to open the, the door to, to meet people, to greet people. We're taught to go out into our community. We're taught to share the love of Jesus. And that's the important part of everything. In fact, someone said Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. What a great quote. Here's the last one. What about those who haven't heard about Jesus? What about those who haven't heard about Jesus? You know, what about the person in a galaxy far, far away? You know, the, the native that lives in the tree on the island, it's deserted. I mean, you, you guys, we've all heard that, right? What about, what about, what? I mean, you know, listen, here, here's what I can tell you. I don't know the exact answer. I don't. But what I can tell you is that the scriptures lead us to understand that something is going on here, that, that God is involved. Uh, here's a few things that I know. The Bible is very clear that when we pursue God, we find him. The Bible is very clear that when we reach out to God, when we love God, when we enter into that relationship, it becomes life-changing and transforming with us. I also believe that, that uh, we know that everyone has enough information from the things that they see in the world. And you know that there's a creator. This can't just be, you know, somebody dropped an egg in the bottom of a, of a pan that doesn't stick. Okay? So we look around and we see the things that are there. And we, we must pursue. We must become a part of this awesome love that God wants for us. But we also find in the Old and New Testaments that, that those who seek God find him. In fact, the scripture says that the Holy Spirit goes before you. The Holy Spirit is before you. And the Holy Spirit is making that connection as you speak. So that's the thing that we need to worry about. So, so the person or persons who are honestly seeking God, I believe they will find. However, I also believe that nobody will be excluded from heaven whom has never been able to have the gospel message presented to them. Did you hear that? I told you the other day that I, I'm not a, a one extreme or another extreme leader. I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm in the center, okay? And so here's why I say that, because I think it's just as much an onus on us to share the love of God so that people do know. But I also believe that, that God is, is, has a place in heaven for those that, that the information has never gotten to. 
because they're created in God's image. And God loves them. No, this is not universal salvation. This is God acting to be God. In fact, someone said to me, how do you know who is and who isn't in if they don't believe in the end? And my answer thoughtfully and scripturally has always been, we have to trust that in the end, God will always make the right decision. Amen? Amen. God must make the right decision. So we do know that there are people who are excluded from eternal life. And this isn't a statement for scare tactics. It, it, it's part of the gospel. And here's what uh, Cliff Nectal said. Cliff Nectal said it this way. He said, all lifelong, they've told God that they can live just fine without him. So a person has told God all along, I can live without you. On judgment day, God will say, based on your own decision to live life separately from me, you will spend eternity separate from me. And that's what he says hell is. He says, God did not violate our free will. If all life long we have said, my will be done, then on the day of judgment, Nectar writes, then God will say to you, your will be done for eternity. You see, for me, the, the, the answer is not arrogance. The message of Christianity is not arrogance. We've heard the message of Jesus. And if you haven't ever heard the message of Jesus, I hope you've heard it today. And I hope that you've heard this. It's clear and responsible and how we are to respond to God's invitation. W.C. Fields, anybody know W.C. Fields? Younger people are like, who is W.C. Fields? Well, he wasn't, a fan, he wasn't on the raise, okay? But anyway, W.C. Fields was a, was a, a movie star in a comic, and uh, he's been around long, he's dead, been dead long. He was just kind of a larger-than-life persona in his day. And uh, there's a famous story about him that he's anxiously flipping through the Bible while on his deathbed. And someone asked him, what are you doing? And he replied, looking for loopholes, my son, looking for loopholes. <laughs> and let me tell you, there was a time in my life that I looked for those too, and I never found them. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through him. To God be the glory.